morning, gentlemen. I'm going to do announcements at the end. That way, um, we've got a couple of uh, special announcements and um, um, maybe some personal celebrations to acknowledge. But um, I want to take just a moment to introduce our speaker. Um, I, I got to know Justin because um, Eric Lee was putting together a committee to talk about you know men's ministry at RUMC, and um, I, I remember our, our first meeting. We, uh, we we got in the conference room and we sat. It turns out there was the old guys on one side of the table and the young guys on the other side of the table. And I was realizing I was on the old guy's side of the table, and I was like, <laughs> I don't know how that happened, but. Um, but Justin was uh, a part of the Chapel Roswell contingent, and I, as I got to know him, I started to appreciate that you know he was in a specific part time of his life where things were either coming together and a decision was going to be made. I probably uh, didn't talk to him again for a couple more months, and then, and then I chatted with him, and he talked about seminary, and and suddenly I got this impression that Justin's life was in a state of radical change. And I tried to imagine uh, when my when I was in uh, fifth or sixth grade, my dad decided to go to seminary. And um, Justin has a, I'm not stealing any of his thunder here, but he has a, a young family. And they have made what I think to, I know in my life, it has been one of the most founding, fundamental decisions that could have possibly happened. And I am so excited to hear about how he came to that decision, what it's doing to his life right now. But he is one of Roswell's own, and he is in the middle of a tremendous journey. And I thought that all of us would uh, would learn something by hearing about that journey. So I want to thank him for coming this morning and letting me stumble through uh, an introduction that, you know, I think you're going to get to know him a whole lot better. And I know he can linger a little bit afterwards to uh, answer questions if you'd like to uh, to know about that. And I will explain these uh, towards the end of uh, our time here together this morning. So... Without further ado, Justin Combs. It's a little weird at my church when I get up to give a sermon, I don't get applause, and so it's 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 a nice it's a nice touch. I may have to lobby for that in our uh, in our in our next meeting. Uh, no, thank you guys uh, so much for having me. I've, I've, uh, when I was uh, it sounds weird to say when I was a member here. Um, yeah, I was able to make it out to the breakfast when you got a three and a five year old getting up earlier than normal. It's a uh, hard thing to come by, but it was always good to come here and hear people speak and get a good breakfast uh, and really be able to kick kick your Thursday off right. Uh, so thank you guys for having me. And Eric, thank you for thinking of me. Um, guys, it, it is so good to be back here. You don't realize how much you miss something like this until it's gone. And I, I, I am uh, I'm at a church up in Dawsonville now, uh, and, and it's a wonderful thing to do. Uh, and a wonderful thing to be a part of, but it is—it's so good here. This will always be home. Um, and even just even just walking the halls this morning, I took a moment to go up to the chapel before breakfast started and pray. And it is just such a wonderful and holy space that you guys have here. So, um, so don't don't take that for granted. This, uh, you know. And again, no no knock to my church, but but man, this this will always be home. Uh, and so I thank this church uh, for putting putting me forward as a candidate for ministry, um, despite my own reservations at that time that maybe, that maybe, that, that maybe they should have thought a little bit longer and harder about that. Um, but, uh, but so, so, I uh, wanted to, to run through my story uh, a little bit and, uh, it's, I, I find it somewhat interesting. I, you know, this isn't any story where I was out in the world and I, I and I hit rock bottom and, and kind of crawled my way back to the top there. God, this one's 
a little bit more even kill, but I think it's a little bit more relatable to the people that, you know, just kind of encounter God in their day-to-day life. Um, so, uh, so I called this, I called this speech, uh, from zero to, pa- or, uh, from zero to pastor in four months flat. Um, there are some alternate titles that I came up with. Uh, one was how to succeed in ministry without really trying. And then the other one was hello, Bishop. I have some concerns about how easy it is to get the keys to a church. That one, that one was a bit of a, that one was a bit of a mouthful. Um, so, so I wanted to give a run through, like, how, how did, how did I get to this point? How am I, I here in front of you today? Not, not speaking as, as a member of the church, but, but as a pastor in charge uh, of another church. Um, I went from facing one way in the sanctuary to facing the other way uh, in a very, very short period of time. Uh, so I want to start out with kind of where, where I started in my childhood. Um, I was raised a Southern Baptist. Um, do we have any, do we have any recovering Baptists? And yeah, so you, you guys, you guys may understand, uh, some of the, some of the things that go into this, uh, this part of the story. I, I was saved at the age of six. Um, you know, in the, in the Baptist church, there, there's not a, you know, there's no confirmation process, nothing like that. You just, whenever you feel that tug on your heart and you want to commit your life, you can. And at six, you know, uh, I think the pastor talked to me and said, you seem a little young, but we had a conversation and, uh, he understood that I knew kind of the ins and outs that sin was bad. Jesus was good. This, you know, and, and, and that this was a fulfilling thing. Um, and so at six was, was, was baptized, uh, into the church there, um, and, uh, and, but even at that point, I, I was a kid that asked a lot of questions. Um, I don't know, I don't know if anybody here has done any of the Enneagram studies or anything like that. I'm a five. Uh, fives are, are the question askers. Um, and in, in the Baptist church, I found out very early on that questions aren't super welcome. Um, at least, at least for you to ask them multiple times, you ask the question once you get the answer and that's the end of it. Uh, for a kid that really, really loved dinosaurs, hearing that God put dinosaur bones here to test our faith uh, was, was a very rough answer to get at the age of eight. You know, you, you go in there in like in fifth grade and you have your dinosaur study and you pick out your, your favorite dinosaur that you like. And then to be told by your Sunday school teacher, those didn't exist. Um, Something just didn't sit right there, even even at a very young age. And so I was always asking questions. I was always, you know, asking, you know, hey, you know, well, I grew up watching Captain Caveman. Where does Captain Caveman fit into the Adam and Eve story? And things that that were just, you know, some of them were kind of off the wall questions. I, I'll, I'll admit, uh, but but always always with the questions about things, always wanting to know more, um, and just e- again, even from a very young age, getting. Uh, less than you know, less than satisfactory answers. At least you know I wanted to keep asking them, um, and so and and at that point that was fine. I had my questions, but I you know still you know still full on belief there. I finally graduated up to where we didn't have a children's church. Uh, well, I I had grown out of the children's church, um, and was sitting through the the normal church service uh, as one does when they finally get older. But uh, I think my first real shock to the senses was I, I sat through our first revival. Um, and a revival in the Baptist church is uh, essentially you call in someone for a week that preaches hellfire and brimstone. Uh, they come in and give their version of sinners at the hands of an angry God. Uh, and uh, a lot of people at a church that believe that once saved, you're always saved, uh, come down the aisle again year after year to, uh, to, to make sure that, that they are still saved. And so I, I looked at this. I said, you know, this, this is a much different picture of God 
that I was given uh, as a kid. You know, I felt like once you kind of graduated up there, you kind of got the bait and switch there. You know, as, as a kid, you got this loving, wonderful God. And then you got up there when you were an adult and you get these message about this angry, vengeful God. It's like we took New Testament God. And then once you got out of the out of the Sunday school program, you got Old Testament God. It's like this seems like we're kind of going we're going backwards here. Um, and so, you know, as soon as I could, I split. Uh, I, I felt like I felt like I had been given. I, I, I really felt like there had been a bait and switch there between the two. And so, I had 15 years old. I was old enough to get a job, uh, and I got one. Um, I got a job so that I, I wouldn't have to uh, so that I wouldn't have to go to church because it was just it was it was that uncomfortable. And, and, and this, there are varying flavors of Baptist churches. There are varying flavors of Southern Baptist churches. The one that I grew up in was a pretty fundamentalist. It's not Westboro Baptist. Um, but, but was, but was, you know, kind of a, a light version of that. Um, so, so I got a job as a, and got that as an excuse. And I made sure that the manager knew I wanted to work every Sunday. Um, and, uh, and that, that worked out, uh, that worked out pretty well. The job I had, they, they needed someone to open the store on Sundays. And so I was there at seven and at 15, I would rather have woken up at five thirty in the morning to go to work than go to that church. Uh, and so that's kind of, that's kind of the position that I was in. Um, and so use that as an excuse. My parents wanted me to be in the church, but they wanted me to pay for my own stuff a little bit more. So they didn't, they didn't press me too hard. Um, you know, if I was making money, they were, as long as I wasn't just sleeping in, hanging out of the house, um, they were all right with that. Uh, and, and that kind of kept up, you know, I, I was there, I went to school at Georgia state, did my undergrad, uh, wanted to be a lawyer to start out, uh, you know, go, go figure a guy that's still getting up and talking in front of people ad nauseum. I uh, wanted to be a lawyer at some point, I, I, but I found real, no real satisfaction. I was sitting there through constitutional law classes. Ah, this is boring. Where, where's the good stuff? Uh, and realized that Georgia State had a philosophy degree that you could get a concentration in pre-law. So, well, that sounds a little bit more interesting. That's more satisfying the question asker in me. Uh, and so I started getting that philosophy degree. And then at one point they had a crossover. The, the philosophy and the religious studies department there are very closely tied together. Um, and so I took a class, uh, it was a class in Buddhism just to fill an elective. Um, and then I realized at that point that like, if I took one extra semester classes, I'd get a second degree. And so I got a second degree in religious studies. Um, and at that point, you know, there's, it's not like going to seminary. It's more of a, uh, it's more of a, uh, non-theological understanding It's what is religion? Why do people do religion? What do certain religions believe? Uh, it's not telling you what to believe. Uh, so at that point, I told myself I was just being academic. You know, I had an interest. I wanted to learn about it, but that was it. Uh, but even in, even in looking at that, even in looking at the world religions there, I was able to take myself outside of that, that bubble that I had grown up in um, within, that, within that Southern Baptist church and look at some of the wonder of some of the other things out there. Now, within that bubble, you know, anything else was bad. It didn't matter what they did. It was bad. It was nothing that you're supposed to be a part of. But having kind of taken myself outside of that bubble, I could take a class in Buddhism. I could take a class in Taoism, I, I, even classes in Islam and look at those and go, well, there is some value in it. There is some beauty in that religion, right or wrong. There's still something that you can glean from that that's good. There's some understanding of God there. And so I, at that point, I could see this beauty in all these world religions, but I still can see the beauty in Christianity. The damage had been done there at that point. That I was like, oh, the, all these things are wonderful, but ugh. because at that point I assumed that, every, you know, I, I knew enough to know that the Catholic Church was a lot different, but I assumed that all of the different denominations of Protestantism were roughly uh, just a varying flavor of what I had grown up with. Um, it, it would take years and years before I realized that that wasn't the case. Um, and so this was kind of the, this was kind of the gray liminal space that I existed in for years and years. I met my wife. 
Uh, she had grown up in kind of the same situation. She was she's from uh, Alabama, so uh, she was from a Southern Baptist church in in rural Alabama. Uh, so uh, we we debate over who had the more interesting experience between the two of us. But the net out was the same, and she had felt kind of jilted by the church as well. Um, this began to change a little bit uh, as as we got older, as we got into a serious relationship and looked towards marriage. Um, now, I, I will tell you this just because I believe in being authentic. Uh, my wife and I were out at a bar when we were dating and, uh, you know, very safe, had to drive our home, uh, you know, but but we were hanging out and I, and I just kind of out of the blue told her and, you know, we talked about not not wanting to go back to church or anything. And just that night I said, God's going to do something with me. And that was the end of the conversation. She didn't bring it up. She didn't mention it. It just kind of it just kind of stayed there that night at the bar. And I, of course, you know, we'd only been dating for a while at that point. I was like, oh, I scared her off. This, she's going to think I'm some weird fundamentalist that, you know, that this whole, that, that old baggage is creeping back in. And, uh, but, but she never mentioned, she didn't mention that again, uh, for, for, for a very long time. Uh, and things began to change when we started, uh, trying to have a kid. Sarah said, Hey, if we have a kid, I'd really like to find a church that we could raise the kid up in. I was like, I know you've got reservations. I've got reservations, but I'd like to bring the kid up in church to get that foundational understanding. Um, and so I, I pushed back on that a little bit and, and we weren't pregnant at that point. So, all right, you know, I, I'll think about it. Once we have a kid, we can talk, you know, we can have a serious talk about that. If that's, if that's something we want to do. Um, so we started trying to have a kid and, uh, my wife and I, it was not an easy road. Um, Again, in, in the spirit of authenticity, I'll tell you, we, we had two miscarriages uh, pretty back-to-back, even after a trying time getting pregnant with those. And so after the second one, we, had, we were only three years into our marriage, but it was the, it was the rock bottom of our, of our marriage at that point. She felt broken. I couldn't help her not feel broken. And so after the second one, I, she had gone to bed, and I just got down on my knees in the living room and said, God, do what you want with me. Don't, I, like, don't, don't make my wife go through this pain this, this suffering. If you can see us through this, I'm yours. Do whatever you want. We'll get back into church. We'll, we'll get right. You know, and then that's, you know, that's one of those steps of grief, I guess, you know, is the bargaining. Uh, but sometimes that happens that God will hear you there. Um, and so whether that's divine providence or probability, uh, a month later, we were pregnant with, uh, what is now our five-year-old girl. Um, and so, and so we found out we were pregnant and we're moving along the road there. It had gotten past the point that the previous two had been. So we were feeling a little bit more comfortable. And at that point, um, the piper came to call, uh, my wife said, well, she said, we're, I'm four months pregnant now. We need to start looking for a church. And I said, okay. So at this point we'd lived just across 120, uh, in the neighborhood back there. Uh, and so we decided to work our way down Mimosa. Um, we, we skipped the Baptist church for obvious reasons. I, I found out in hindsight that, that, that they're actually, they're actually pretty decent Baptists there. Uh, we skipped the Presbyterian church because I'd learned enough in school that Calvinism isn't really my thing. And so we came here, uh, knowing nothing about the Methodist church. My dad was raised Methodist. He said, told me Methodists are like Baptists that pray out loud. Um, and, uh, and so we came in not really knowing anything and we said, you know, we'd just keep, if, if this didn't work out, we'd work our way down and we'd either hit the Unitarian church or the Sikh temple at some point. And at that, at that point we'd have to make a decision, but, I, but we came in here and our, our first Sunday it was back when Mike Long was here. Um, and, and it just from the first Sunday, we sat through the traditional service and just fell in love with it. Uh, the old hymns, the pipe organ, and and most of all that message 
the message of grace. So often I'd heard the pulpit used to just preach about hell and how we were dirty and how everything was terrible. And to come in and hear this message of grace was just the sweetest sound to my ears. This was an understanding of God that, that, I, that, I, hadn't, that I hadn't heard of. You know, it's saying, saying amazing grace for years and years, but I'd never really gotten the rundown of what that grace means. And so this picture of this angry God that I had was replaced with this God of infinite love and forgiveness and grace. And, and we fell in love for the first time we had found peace here. And said, okay, we can come here. We can raise our kid here. Um, it didn't take long at that point to really dig in. And that, that, that kind of stirring inside me started to kick in. It was small at first. Um, but as we dug in here, you know, I found a Sunday school class that championed people that asked questions. Uh, you know, Bruce was in there, the open view Sunday school class that in sitting through the first Sunday school class, I kind of had to look over my shoulder and go like, do people know that like you're, that you're doing this, that we're asking these questions Now, this was while we were doing an Adam Hamilton study, mind you. So, uh, even, even at that point, the way I was raised, Adam Hamilton was a very, very, uh, heretical figure. Now, you know, we went from there into Rob Bell, which was quite the leap. But, but even, even early on there, I was like, I was like I, you know, Adam Hamilton's talking about these things. And I'm like, you, you can't ask that. Like, that's, that's not up for debate. And I found out that there's a lot of stuff that's up for debate. And I was like, you know, this, this is my kind of place. Not only can I ask questions, but I can come to different answers than you do, than you do. And we can have a discussion about that. It is not one authoritative, this is the way. And so that stirring, that stirring was moving inside me. And they ask you through the, through the candidacy process, what, what was the one kind of defining moment? And I bounced back and forth about that moment. There's kind of two here. I got an email at some point, and I don't know who referred me or whatever, but I got an email from a guy that was doing this thing called the 315 Project. I think he's still doing it. Rusty, I believe that you're on there. Um, I, I've seen a couple of other people. I get an email from a guy that says, someone at your church told me, that you might be interested in sharing your story. I hadn't told my story to anybody in any real manner. And it, and I read that and I was like, ooh, do I have a story? And I started to think through it. I was like, I do have a story at this point, kind of a, a redemption story about, you know, you hear about all these people leaving the church at my age and not coming back now, but to, to talk about how that change looks for someone that left and said, that's nothing I want to be a part of, to realize that there is something of value there. And so I, I still to this day don't know who sent that guy my email address. But that was the first step in me realizing that I had a story. to see. And so I did that. And that was the first time I'd really strung my testimony together. And there was some power in that, telling that. And that, that made that stirring grow stronger. So I knew I had something to say. I didn't know what God wanted me to do with it. Um, until I was sitting in chapel. It wasn't, we, didn't even have the, we didn't have chapel at that point. It was still Mike was here at the tra- traditional service. There's one Sunday, and I remember because it, it was just me. Uh, Sarah was home with Sophia. She was probably, you know, up late, uh, up late. She was crying and just wanted to sleep in on a Sunday. And so it was just me. And I got the bulletin and sat down in the pew while everything was getting settled. And I read through the bulletin and there was something, I read the scripture. Oh, well, let me go ahead and open the Bible and read the scripture. And and to be honest, I, I couldn't even tell you what the scripture was. It was graduation Sunday for the kids that were graduating from high school. But there was something there, and all of a sudden it was like a punch to the gut. There was a physical discomfort in me at that church service that sat there and just made me uncomfortable through the whole thing. And it was God saying, like, you can do this. You can go out there and do that. And I, and I just wrestled with it and said no. But you, know, you hear people about that still small voice, and I think that still small voice is there to a point. And then God says, I need your attention. 
And that's what happened in that church. I sat there uncomfortable for the entire time going, no, nope, this can't be what you're telling me to do. No, nope, this can't be right. Not me. Right. You know, I, I just got back on the boat here. Like, like, uh, how can, how can I, how can I chase this call down? This was back in 2015, if you're uh, keeping track. So from 2015 to now, I wrestled with this for a very, very long time. But at that point, between those two events, I knew that I had a story to tell. And I had an inkling of where I was supposed to tell that story from. So even after this kind of physical manifestation of this holy discontent that I had in me, I, I waited. I tried other avenues to kind of release, as a, as a pressure release valve there, I started doing things around the church here. I, I volunteered with Children's Sunday School. <sighs> Um, you know, I, I joined a second small group. Surely joining a second small group to talk and learn about God is going to make this go away. I joined the hospitality committee. I became the chair of the hospitality committee. And in all of this, still, God said, no, this is not, this isn't it. You're not going to satisfy a checklist of what I want you to do. There's this one thing. And so finally, you know, through all this, in, but in 2017, so we fast forward a couple of years here now of me battling this thing. We wrapped a Chapel Roswell service, and I went up to Eric Lee afterwards and said, Eric, I think I'm being called to ministry. And he, of course, told me, this, well, this is a wonderful thing. And I'm like, you don't know how much I've wrestled with this just to get this point. It felt anything but wonderful because I, I, was, I still just couldn't wrap my mind around the fact that God was calling someone like me to be able to do that. And so the first step in that process, they give you a book that's called The Christian as Minister. Um, and it gives the rundown of trying to begin to discern your call and if it's really there and where it may be. He gave me that book. And that book sat on my built-in for almost a year. There was something in me that knew that that was step one. And as long as I didn't do step one, I didn't have to worry about the other 12,384 steps <coughs> that it takes to become a minister in the Methodist church. So I, at this point, I, I, I talked to my wife about this. You know, we were talking about the bar scene earlier. I told her, I said, honey, I really feel like this call to ministry is real. I don't know how we're going to do it. I don't know. I don't know if I can even pursue it, but it's there. And of course, Sarah says, well, I wondered how long it'd take you to get back around to that. <laughs> and so almost a decade later, after I had confessed to her out of nowhere, back when we weren't even in a church that God had plans for me, she had been looking at me the whole way and she saw something in me that even I couldn't see. Uh, in myself. Um, so at that point, you know, it, those, I think it was about nine months passed and I finally read the book and I, that was about two weeks before Eric transitioned over to Shambly. And so I flagged Eric down at the last minute. I, I didn't, you know, Tom was still relatively new here. I had been going to Chapel Roswell. I didn't know Tom. I had been having conversations about this with Eric. And so, you know, I tried to run him down and been in the middle of moving to a new church and trying to get into his new house and everything. That's a very busy time. I'm finding out for a minister. But Eric talked to Tom. Eric sent a note to Tom, said, Tom, Justin's discerning a call to ministry. Talk to him. So I talked to Tom. Tom talked to Doug Thrasher, our district superintendent. And Doug called me. Doug called me the day before he left for the country for three weeks. The last possible day that I could have began the next round of mentorship groups. If I didn't get in touch with Doug on that day my story would have been much different. I don't know that I would have been here today because I would have had to have waited six more months to start in the next round of candidacy, the candidacy group. So even looking back on that, I can see that the hand of God was there. That had, I, had I waited, had I, had I postponed even one day further, that my story would be much, much different. But I did that. And so 
you know, and so I, the next, you know, we fast forward, it's a six month process doing this candidacy program where you go in with a group of people and discern your call and you, you know, answer John Wesley's historic questions and kind of get a grounding for whether you want to be a licensed local pastor or want to go to the ordination route. That's what that is. That's one of the, one of those 12,142 steps that you go through before you sink a dime into seminary, which is great because seminary is expensive. And so if you can find out that ministry isn't your thing before then, all the better. Um, that, that was not the outcome for me. That was a confirming process for me, letting me know that I should do that. Um, and so we fast forward a little bit. Fast forward to late October of this year. I was taking the next step in that 12,142-step process of meeting with our SPRC, meeting with Alan. And uh, I was in the parking lot. I talked to Doug. I, Candler has this thing called the Teaching Parish Program where you can pastor a small church while you're in school. And for me, I was... I was, uh, you know, I'm married. I've got two kids. I had a mortgage. I didn't have time to find a part-time job and go to school full-time and do, you know, some of the other stuff that they have students there do. And so doing this program and going ahead and starting my ministry. At this point, I'm going, I'm 37. I'm, and I've sat on this long enough. I am ready to get the word out about this. And so I talked to, I talked to Doug about that. So Doug, I'd like, you know, I, I'd like to go ahead and start talking about this. I know that we won't get appointments until next July, this a month from now, but... Uh, but I'd like to go ahead and start the conversation because my wife, my wife will be, my my wife is now, or I guess will be as of August, the breadwinner in our family. Um, and so I need, there are certain provisions. I need a church that she can get to, uh, that she can get to work relatively easily because we're not in a position where she can quit because uh, these small churches are small. They're wonderful. They learn a lot. Uh, you know, it, it's not a great paying gig in most spots. Um, and so we, we did have certain provisions. And of course, Doug says, all right, well, uh, get accepted to seminary first, uh, you know, that still hadn't uh, applied there. So, and then, and then once we get through all that, we'll start talking in April, May, see what's available. Um, and that was about a week before this meeting with the SPRC. I pulled into the parking lot here uh, on a rainy Wednesday and got a call from Doug Thrasher as I was sitting in the parking lot about to go in. I get places early. I try to make sure that, that I'm not the one dragging for time, especially with big meetings. Uh, so I was just out there, you know, I had about 10 minutes to burn. Uh, I think I was checking my work email uh, since I was actually coming from jury duty. Um, and I get a call from Doug and Doug said, Hey, I had someone quit out of the blue at a church up in Dawsonville. Would you like to take this? So can I do that? So it's a little unorthodox. You know, normally you want, they want the people to go through their licensing school before they assign them a church said, but I'm, but I'm kind of hard up and you're top of mind since you, since you, uh, since you sent me that note. And so I thought long and hard about that. And, um, I, I, I say, I, th- I thought long and hard about it. I knew what I was going to do. Uh, from from the get go there, um, and and I stepped back and and it did worry me. I mean, this is Dawsonville. I'm I, I you know I've I've been in the metro Atlanta area my whole life. I've been in, you know as soon as I had friends that were old enough to drive to the city, I was in the city. I uh, went to school in the city and I had you know kind of progressively moved out from Sandy Springs to here, and and so you know going that far out was outside of my comfort zone. Beautiful place to visit. Lots of mountains. We're, we're five minutes from Amicalola Falls. Not a whole lot of, of of urban feel out in the middle of Dawsonville, though. So not not only that, but but the, the I mean the people are different too. The, you know the people here are wonderful, but you know we're a solidly uh, solidly you know middle to upper middle class church. We've got some people that some people that are very very well off. This was a church of thirty people. Where on where on Sundays when we pass the the offering plate, there's some people that just take the loose change that they have in their pocket, and that's the offering that they give. Th- this is not. 
uh, you know, th- this isn't something that I'm familiar with. I said, you know, how, and, and these people, you know, both, both, uh, you know, politically probably think a little bit different and, and just, the, and it's an older congregation. I, you know, how do you, how do I as a 30 something minister to a group of, of 70, 80 year old people? Like, I don't, we, we don't have a whole, whole lot in common. And so I stepped back and said, what is God trying to show me here through this opportunity? Because the way that, the, the way that things had come about, I had no doubt that this was where I was supposed to go. God was doing this for a reason. Everything to this point had made a path, and that path led here that's going forward. And so I stepped back and said, this, this is something that I need. I mean, grown up in Roswell, you know, in, in, my, in the church, I say grown up, you know, I'd been here for seven years. But this, this was the church in which I learned to love God again and renewed my faith, renewed my understanding, and, and the strength of that relationship. And so that being in a place so different, I said, well, what can I learn? And it, it's teaching me that despite age difference, despite beliefs, despite where people are in life, People still need to see God's love. And if I'm going to be a minister, I need to be able to minister to the entire body of Christ. And so that's what I've, that's what I've been doing there. And I, and I found wonderful things and they're learning from me and I'm learning from them. And we're going to get, we're going to get screens in the, in the sanctuary. Um, the, the people were hesitant, but then people were hesitant, but then they go, well, wait, we're, our, our eyesight's kind of failing. And so this is probably a good thing. So it's like, yes, yes, we'll go with that. That's, that's a wonderful thing. And so, and, and so I, I see this. And, and so, you know, it's, it's helping me to realize just how big the body of Christ is and how varied the work out there is that, that, that while, you know, while the church here in Roswell helped to nurture me, that the, that the world, the world is so wide and wild and varied. And we've got to go out and be the hands and feet in Christ of that entire world. Not just the people in this community, but to the people all around us as well. So I'm learning to do this. You know, I, I got I got thrown in a church. Uh, I, I say thrown. I, I, I'm there willingly. I started the first week of Advent. Um, that was the first sermon I ever gave. was was an Advent sermon, and I went in saying, "Well, this is easy. Everybody knows the Christmas story." And then uh, Kristen Hyden, who I'm friends with, who you know left a, a couple of years ago. She, She's like, yeah. She's like, but there's going to be a lot of people there at the church that don't normally come. So it's Christmas and they got a new guy in the door. And I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> thanks a lot, Kristen. Uh, I, I thought I had it pretty well, pretty well settled. But uh, it turns out that that was a blessing because I could start with familiar material and kind of get my feet wet there. And and so and, and now at this point, I'm six months deep and it and it it feels like home there. I mean, I'm still learning. I'm learning more every day. Um but it's just, it's a wonderful experience. So I'm doing that. I, I finished, I did licensing school for the teaching parish program. You have to get licensed to run the church while you're in seminary. Um, and so f- finish that. That's another step in that process. And, and it's, I, I'm not, you know, it's not like you wake up one morning and you flip a light and you're like, all right, I am, I am 100%, you know, holy. You know, I, 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 have, I, I have hit the sanctification process. Uh, you realize just what a process that is and that even as I'm standing up there giving my sermons, that I myself am still learning, I'm still refining, and I'm still growing, that I, that I still have a lot to grow. I thought that you had to go into this and have it all figured out. I found out that that's just not the case. Um, that anybody up there, and Jeff, I won't speak for you. You may, you may have hit that <laughs> sanctification process, but, 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 the, but that, but that we're, that, but that we're up there on this side of the pulpit learning as well as we go. Now, now we have a call and we, we have been gifted by God to share that message, but we too are in that learning process. And so it's been a wonderful experience to get that hands-on experience, even before I go in and get the, and get the book experience that they give you in seminary. I still carry my doubts with me. I still have my big questions. 
you know, at this point, I still say, you know, you know, what if this, what if I, what if I'm wrong? What if this isn't the right? What if I'm, what if this isn't my call? What if I fail? What if the church splits while I'm in the middle of this? What if the whole thing falls apart? And at those points, I you know, kind of get that feeling in my stomach, but I can always look back and say, God's take, I can spot the points where I can say, God has taken me to this point. And that helps me to remember that there is a path that I'm on. One of the phrases in the, in the, in the uh, candidacy process that you hear over and over again is they say that, that you are called for a time such as this. And so that's why, you know, when I look at this and go, why did I put this off for so long? Why didn't I do this five years ago? I'm 37 now. How can I start seminary and graduate when I'm 40? But then I look back and realize I wasn't ready five years ago. I couldn't have started that process five years ago. I could have only started that process. That process that kind of kicked in with one day to go meeting Doug Thrasher. I could have only started that when I did. I couldn't have put it off any later. And I definitely couldn't have started any sooner. But that despite all the problems, you know, I've got friends that say, why would you start right now? And the answer is that I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't not start it right now. And I, I can tell you this, the licensing school, you know, even, even in a time such as this, the licensing school I did at Candler, there's 50 licensed pastors that got, uh, that got their licenses or, or will get them at annual conference. So it's not like the bottom has dropped out. God is still calling people even in troubled times. People that want to go out there and be, and a lot of these are people that aren't going the ordination route. They are called to go out there and spread the word of God. The, the bureaucracy, the voting, the stuff like that doesn't concern them. They're going out to preach the word to the people of God. And, and for me, that, that's so affirming that God, to see that, that, that despite disputes, despite questions, despite issues, that God is above that and God is still moving in the world today. So friends, I'll close out today in telling you this. Um, listen. God's calling everyone here to do something. For, for most people, I would say it's probably not going to be going the route to ordain ministry, but God is calling you to do something to help improve the kingdom here, to, to, to bring and add value to, to the body, of, to the body uh, of Christ here on, on, uh, in the earth. And so listen to that. My, you know, as you can see from mine, the second that I stopped kicking and screaming, <coughs> the ball started rolling 10 times faster. I hit the point where I said, fine, Jesus, take the wheel, as uh, the old uh, Carrie Underwood song says. And you assume when you say, Jesus, take the wheel, that he's going to hit the brakes. I said, Jesus, take the wheel. And he said, cool, let's go and hit the gas. And, and it's on down the road. And so it's, it's a little scary at times. Um, but that voice isn't going to go away. If you're called to do something, and whether that, whether that is ministry, whether that, and I, and I say that, everything we do here is ministry, right? So there's some component so just listen to that. Answer that call. God will nurture whatever that is. If that's volunteering here, if it's, if it's doing this, doing that, uh, there is ways to add to, to add to the kingdom here in Rome. But listen, you know, hopefully it doesn't get for you to the point where it feels like someone punched you in the stomach in a church service, but it's there. So listen for that. Try to discern what God wants you to do, um, what you can do to be part of the greater church universal, to help grow the presence and the knowledge and the love of God. It's sacred. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be here today. It's a long and winding road that has led here. And, and I'm sure that you are using this in some way, shape, or, fa or, or, way, shape, or fashion that, that the person hearing this may not even know today. But I thank you for the path that you've laid for me. And if this even plants the seed in someone that sprouts years down the road, I give thanks for that. Bless the men's group here. Bless them that they can go out into this community, into the world at large. 
to be the hands and feet of Christ in the world around them, to make change for the betterment of the world, and to show your love to people that don't know, to people that don't know it, to people that have forgotten it, to people like me that didn't think that it was possible. Bring them that love, show them that light. God, I thank you so much for helping me to find this place. And I, I'm sure everybody here feels the same. That though our paths may vary, that you use this as the firm foundation to launch many different paths. And God, we are so great. Thank you again so much for the time. And thank you for the opportunity to bring me here in this part of my journey. Pray that it be a blessing to your name. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Isn't it amazing what a newly minted pastor sounds like? <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's fresh currency right there. I mean, we, we, we live in a, we, we live in a day. Only six months jaded at this so, point. You know, if you go through your wallet, you'll find a lot of old currency, probably. If you go and find one of the new, sometimes you don't even recognize the new bills because they've got all this security in them. But that's what newly minted Methodism sounds like. And I'm so grateful that, that Justin could be here this morning. I'd never gotten to hear him, you know, in pulpit mode. <laughs> and all I can tell you is if your church doesn't have any amplification, you'll be just fine. <laughs> we found that out very early on. They're like, oh, oh keep, keep turning the mic down. Keep turning the mic down. <laughs> well, I'm glad everybody is here this morning. We do have a, a couple of announcements we want to do. Um, we're going to start a little bit of a tradition here. If you have a birthday this week and um, you're willing to acknowledge that, I think it's a good idea to have personal celebrations. If it is actually your birthday and you chose to start your day with us um, early in the morning, then you should definitely stand and at least let, let's give these guys a round of applause. I know we've got two. Now, I, I know with women, you're not supposed to ask how old anybody is, but I'll let the guys at the table take care of that for me. Um, so, Medicare. Uh, med <laughs> we, we, have the, we have the age of Medicare. Um, Art, where are you? Where is Art? There is Art. Art, um, you're almost on board. I have two other quick announcements. Hold on, I need a prop. Just a quick raise of hands. How many people here were in Sunday school on Sunday morning? Most everybody in this group. Did your Sunday school class have an announcement about men's breakfast? No. no. Okay. Well, I, I really tried to. I'd like to have every Sunday school class represented here. And you might think, well, that's not appropriate for all the Sunday school classes. There were two in particular that Cammy pointed out. Are you sure you want to send it to those folks? <laughs> right? And I said, absolutely. Because women of faith have, have spouses who need to be here. And single friends of faith, they were the, actually the only response I got back on the next morning was the reason that the two men in this class couldn't be here. And I said, thank you, because there's a real reason they can't be here, but they can be here on Sunday morning. And I thank those Sunday school classes for having a place for those men to come and be able to be rejuvenated on Sunday morning. So I'm going to continue that. I really do want every Sunday school class represented at the men's breakfast and other men's activities. So I'm going to ask, uh, after Art is done with a minute here, take a second, and if you're at a table, tell, tell the people at that table a little bit about your Sunday school class. Because if they're not already in a Sunday school class, that was like three people, I think. Um, then then the, this definitely uh, a potpourri of classes. I, I was fascinated to find out that Justin's class, as he was talking, was called Maze of Grace. 
And I, there's probably a story behind that, but I'm looking at how close we are on time, and we won't undo that. We may do that at our next meeting. Our next meeting is not the first Thursday of, uh, of July, because that's Independence Day. It will be the second Thursday of July, and Mark Kramer will be speaking. We'll be learning about Stephen's ministers. Eric, I wanted to encourage everybody. Mark Kramer is coming um, about Stephen Ministry. I've been one for 11 years. Alexander is also one. And for any of you that are even remotely considered, uh, to it, it provides Christian counseling. There's a training process, and one Stephen Minister really only requires a couple of hours a month. But any of you that are in providing, it provides counseling, very um, confidential counseling for people with serious problems. If you come to a pastor with your problems, that's the last stop. It's usually something extremely serious. And the minister acts for the minister, for, for the pastors in situations where it's long term. And it allows the church to be able to have an open ending arm. <laughs> Of Christ, and you can, and we can actually be helpful there, just simply in our own experiences. A lot of time, relief by having somebody just, you know, there something is eating their lunch, and we can say, well, the first couple times that happened to me, here's what I did. And if any of you, please come and listen to Mark next month. And it's something if you feel. Um, a call to get involved in. It's some of the greatest people in the world that are involved in the Stephen ministry. And uh, we always need more men. So that will be July the 11th, the second uh, Thursday in July. So, um, Art, if we, would you mind come up? Uh, you've got a special uh, project to tell us about. And thank you, Justin, for sharing your message. What a wonderful, inspiring message there he had and his story in his life. And we'll continue to pray for you. So got a quick kind of a public service announcement, but with a little bit of uh, interest behind it all. What a wonderful church we're a part of, right? We're very fortunate and honored. Many wonderful ministries going on, and we hear a lot about that. Um, and you guys, we hear, we talk about all the time, there's a lot of people that just, you know, need to be helped. Um, and of course, one big challenge of that is the homeless problem, right? Just right here in our neighborhood, in our area, which is surprised me many years ago when I first learned about it. So one evening this past February, uh, Cheryl and I ran out quick errand and it's cold, rainy night, was bringing her back home, said, Hey, your car's low on gas. Let me get gas. She said, no, I'm going to go home. I took her home. I kept thinking, I need to get her some gas, so I took her car back. It wasn't dressed for the cold or the weather. Quickly pumped in some gas, and I noticed as I'm pulling out, this woman pulls past me in an old Lexus SUV, and she's got a flat tire. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking, okay, she's going to be able to get air. I know this QT well. There's a great air pump, and I'm watching. Well, she's by herself. Should I help her? Nah. Start driving on. Go another 100 feet. God goes, Get yourself back there and help that woman. <laughs> so I quickly help her. Long story short, um, can't get air in the tire. Um, go back to her trunk to say, do you have a spare? She doesn't have a spare. And you notice in her trunk all her possessions. So what are we going to do? Long story short, took her out to dinner, brought her home. We've been working with her since. And her name is um, Dorita. And so uh, her journey has been interesting through the help of this wonderful church, Nancy Lane. We've had her through North Fulton Community Charities for a month. You know, she's trying to find work. Um, she tapped, you know, timed out of that, got her then into Must Ministries with some housing. Both places provided housing, and she grew through that without uh, getting a job. And um, so now all of a sudden, 
she's back out on the street. So we're not going to have that. So we brought her to our house now where she's been living with us the past few weeks as we're helping her to try to get a job. And you learn through all this, you know, people face many, many challenges. But with her, she has a unique style. She She's a hairstylist, right? And that's been her dream. But she can't, it's hard for her to focus on the daily routines that we all take for granted in terms of how to, you know, how to get my arms around that. How do I get hired? You know, I, I, I can do this. I can do this. So we, anyway, the great news is um, God is good. And yesterday we helped her and she got a full-time job, $9 an hour, but that's a start at, at one of the great clips um, facilities, which actually they move you around. So that's just a, a, a start. Um, so we're, we're now... You know, Cheryl and I are now very uh, personally invested with her in her because we, you know, both uh, emotionally and, and just in helping and even financially uh, to some extent. And so each day, one thing we've learned to do is we start the day talking to her, helping her with her strategy. What are we going to do today, right, specifically so we, she doesn't get lost in the weeds and we pray with her and send her out. So that that has paid off so far, at least the next step. But also, here's her reality as I begin to get to know her and we dig down. She's $20,000 in debt um, and a long way to go to get out. So um, I reached out um, just yesterday to a, a, another terrific RUMC member. We, we have such great talent in this building. And um, he uh, is going to help her hopefully navigate out of her loan problem. He's Virgil Bedenfield, you guys know Virgil probably. So he's had a good long talk, and he's um, he's going to be a big help there, and um, and so that's you know hopefully another big step that we can help move along. Nancy's still working, working with Must Ministries to try and get her um, into housing as soon as we can, and uh, you know the path, as I said, is never too easy, but nothing is too big for God. So today, here's what I'm here to share how you can help. So we're putting together. Uh, a fundraiser on Sunday, June 23rd from 1 to 6, and we call it the Roswell United Methodist Hair Raising Benefit. Hair Raising. <laughs> All right? So we have two professional stylists who have volunteered to provide haircuts for men and bang trims for women with a $25 or more donation. Uh, There's another woman who owns a salon down Shallerford. Cheryl called her yesterday, has greatly, graciously offered up her salon that we can use for at no charge. And there's, I'm going to leave a sign-up sheet if you're interested. I will tell you this, one of the maybe scariest moments last week, she was going out to do a test, and you know, they require, you're testing for that, that you got to have a model with you. So she said, Brother Art, would you be my model? <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, I went down and talked to her, I said, Dorita, okay, let's talk about that. What does this mean? Is this like, uh, what do you call the fade? Is this going to be a fade? Am I going to like a mushroom cloud when you're done on top? Because, you know, there's not a lot to work with here. And she started laughing. She said, well, I, I got to do what they tell me to do. You know, she's going to want to check the number two, the number three, the number four. I'm going, how low do they go? <laughs> anyway, I, I went the next, so, you know, I was like, well, can you just trim what we got here? And she said, yeah, yeah. So I, I go to bed that night, and, of course, God stirred in me all night long. I got up the next morning and said, you know what, Dorita, you do what you need to do. <laughs> God is good. He was just testing me because she ended up just doing the, just a little trim. It looks good, right? So she's, I can tell you, she's professional. Hey, it's not much to work with. I can tell, I can assure you. But anyway, we just ask you if you want to help, um, if you want to mark that day, I'm going to leave some information here. I do need to run back. I apologize, but she's back at home and I need to have that meeting with her today too, as we had her out. Cause every day she's got some more things. She's got a, hurdles to clear and things we're working on. So just want to encourage you, if you feel so moved to 
you know, the contribution, a check. We, if you want to make a checkouts to Must Ministries, we're going to work it through Must. And Nancy Lane is heavily involved in this too. She'll help. But we make it the Must, and through that, we can hopefully, you know, help take care of some relief for her and get her on the way to to success. Thank you all very much for your time. So a busy morning here at RUMC. Um, Art's going to leave a sign-up sheet on this table. That'll be that'll be great. Everybody will find it on this table. What was the date again? Twenty third. June twenty third. I find if you say dates three or four times, right. we get there. So Sunday, Sunday one to six, so in between church. So Sunday afternoon after church, June twenty third, and um, you know you can get a trim. Some of us have even less to work with, and uh, you're just grateful. I ask them for the scissors that cut the gray hairs a little shorter. They apparently can't get those from Amazon anymore. I don't, I don't know what the deal is. Um, I'll give you a couple of other dates. Friday, June 28th, that will be after the, you'll have your hair cut and you'll be in good shape to come Friday night to the Patriotic Concert. Now, you can get tickets for that, and I don't, didn't bring tickets this morning, but you don't have to have a ticket to get in the room. On Friday night, if you decide that you and all of your neighborhood would like to come to the Patriotic Concert, that'll be okay. So Friday night, the 28th, um, it's going to be an exciting concert. Um, we were rehearsing stuff last night, and I was like, oh, this will be exciting. And we'll have the, I think the Wind Symphony will be with us, too. And then Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock. On Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock, having tickets probably recommended, once again, not required. If you show up, there will be a place for you to sit and or for you to stand and for your guests to sit. And so, um, you know, it's an exciting time. Someone was talking to me, well, are things calming down for the summer? I said, yes, right after the patriotic concert, they will calm down. And so um, music is a big part of my life. If you're into barbershop, um, I have a barbershop concert this weekend right here at the Roswell Cultural Arts Center with a, a group that normally competes. Last year we were in uh, Orlando competing in the international competition. This year we're not doing that, but we are doing something called the Greatest Showman. And it is uh, barbershop music, uh, not like your granddad probably heard. And it is uh, interesting, everything from Tony Bennett to some stuff from the Rat Pack. I mean, it is cool barbershop, at least from my perspective. So if you're looking for something to do this Sunday afternoon, I'll leave a um, something on the table for you to see the details. I want to thank everybody for being here this morning. Justin is exactly the type of image I want to have for my kids to see what's going on in the Methodist church. He speaks with authenticity. He talks about what led him to there. You can easily relate to that. He's made an incredibly difficult family decision. And it's so fun to hear how God planted those signals in his life that he can so clearly point to. There's signals in all of our lives. Sometimes we don't realize that we're, we're in the middle of a signal. Uh, sometimes it's only years later, but I am grateful that every man is here this morning. You have a story to tell. You can tell the story this morning about a family reaching out to someone that they just bumped into at a gas station in the cold. Um, newly minted Methodist minister. So thank you for being here this morning. See everybody on July the 11th. Thank you.